everybody, welcome again. Thank you for uh, continuing to join us in, in our AIFC uh, webinar series. I've been fortunate enough to uh, continue uh, conversations with interesting and, and referenced uh, individuals, uh, male and female, from, from the world of soccer. Um, this, this week, we definitely wanted to focus on you know, the NCAA experience and uh, you know, getting perspectives uh, from from you know different people and, and their approaches and you know their tips and, and their references towards that, um, we've been fo fortunate enough um, within our network of, of of staff to you know connect with some some very high end uh, programs, uh, some high schools and some high end individuals. Uh, uh, we we welcome uh, Chris Fidler uh, from Coastal Carolina uh, University, um, which is a Top 50 program um, NCAA tournament team uh, who's going to give us a, a, some insight um, and, and, and chat with us and wrap with us um, in terms of themes of you know choosing the right school um, you know uh, staying staying focused uh, um, around that and from his references uh, around the country and from coming overseas um, definitely will share some some perspective towards that and uh, you know how, how to set yourself apart you know and uh, Chris has a, an extensive background and, and, and a solid background uh, in, in, in a goalkeeping position, which is obviously a very, you know, position-specific uh, role uh, in, in our game. Um, so, Chris, I, I thank you for joining us, and we appreciate your time here. And, you know, if, if you'd like to, you know, introduce yourself uh, and give a little bit of background to yourself as well, that, that, that would be great. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So, yeah, as, as you've said, um, just recently joined Coastal Carolina, um, but playing background, I originated from the Man City Academy, played there for numerous years, um, got to 17, 18, had numerous knee injuries, which kind of curtailed that. Um, so I had a decision to make, do I drop down the leagues or do I focus on education? So I went the education route. Um, I graduated with a sport and exercise science uh, bachelor's degree and then I got the opportunity to move to the U.S. to do my master's at University of the Incarnate Word where I carried on playing um, and once I graduated there kind of transitioned into the coaching world as the goalkeeper coach the assistant coach and then ultimately the interim head coach um, and then just transitioned to Coastal Carolina this this past month. Awesome. And uh, Coach Julian, I know you have some background with uh, Coach Chris. Uh, how, how does uh, how does that come about? Yeah, so um, after my time at, at Charlotte, I uh, after three years, I transferred to San Antonio and played my last two years uh, at Incarnate Word because I redshirted my my freshman year. Um, and I met Chris in my junior year, and he was uh, the starting goalkeeper for UIW. Um, he didn't speak too much about how he played, but you know. You know, you get lucky when you have a good goalkeeper behind you. It was one of those where every shot didn't matter where it was going. You're confident that he was going to stop it. Um, my first year at UIW, we went to mid to the second round of the tournament. Um, and I think, yeah, he did, Chris. He got All-American in mention, um, which doesn't go to just anybody. And then following that, my senior year, he was part of the coaching staff. And we made it to the Elite Eight. So in my two years at UIW, we had two runs to the, the national tournament um, going further each year, once with, him, uh, once with him as a player and then again with him as a coach. And um, then after my senior year, um, he actually 
helped me become a part of the staff because I had moved back to Toronto, um, unsure really what I wanted to do. Um, and then with conversations between the then head coach and him, um, they were able to bring me over as a grad assistant. So he was actually a big part of me going back to San Antonio, which led into a whole bunch of other things for me as far as coaching goes. Um, and we also coached together at the club level in San Antonio at a, one of the better clubs in San Antonio, SACD Soccer Club. And I actually brought him in as the, the goalkeeper coach. So, you know, from when I first went there to when I left, we've been kind of helping each other um, in the soccer world. And, you know, we, we remain good friends as well outside of soccer. So, which is why he's here with us now. So, Chris, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll dive right into your, uh, your, your, your switch from uh, the U.K. over to the U.S. Uh, from a playing uh, aspect. I guess as a player coming from, like, a prestigious academy, a high-end academy like Man City, uh, what were some of the things, I guess, through your upbringings, through that, that sort of level, uh, that helped you transition well into the college game uh, in the U.S.? And then what were some of the things that you maybe struggled with that were kind of different from what you were used to? Um, yeah, no. So obviously in the academy set and things that helped me were I was used to training all the time. Um, as a goalkeeper, you'd, we're doing two or three sessions a day. Um, you come over here and do pre-season and you're doing double days. I'm used to that, physically used to that. Um, a lot of club kids, high school kids, you know, maybe train twice, three times a week and aren't used to the workload. So for me, coming from that background, and I find it pretty easy to just slot in. Um, you know, another thing that I'll always build upon it, and as we go through professionalism, having that background coming from a professional club, um, I think a lot of kids don't realize how intense um, the college the college season is and how college soccer is. So for me. Coming from that background, it was easy for me to get my head around and have that mentality to just slide into the college aspect. The thing that I struggled with was, it's a very poor location, but the heat. Um, I'm coming from Manchester where it's raining most of the time and I've gone to San Antonio and it's 110 degrees and I'm thinking, I can't play here. Um, but, you know, your body gets used to it. You're training twice a day. It, might, it helped coming from my background with how fit I was um, but it's the key thing is um, for high school and club kids is to realize that college soccer isn't a natural just easy jump from high school into club it's a big jump and you've got to realize that if you want to be successful you need to kind of change your mindset a little bit to be a little bit more mature um, and have that bit more professionalism about yourself when you conduct everything about yourself in that program. Right, and coming from a from you know from from a club of that nature, and and, and now you know especially as you see, uh, especially over you know the last five years or so, it, you know the, the overseas academy scene has really exploded. You know, in, in into the NCAA, it's, uh, I think it's become a, a very common pathway. Um, you know, for many players in, in European systems and, you know, very, very big clubs. You know, what, what was your perspective, you know, your mind state sort of wrapped around, you know, coming in? We've heard sometimes, you know, that from, from coaches that sort of play, players struggle because they, you know, they, th their dream was very, very attached to sort of that other end. And, 
you know, being at a club at, at Manchester City for sure, you know, has 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 put you in in some big goals and, and some big thoughts about your future. So, what was your you know what was your mind state sort of now you know coming full circle and, and entering a program um, from 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 a college competitive standpoint? Yeah, it's good because you know now as a coach, I see it kids coming from that background that think it's going to be easy coming over to the college game and that you know they're going to tear it up and they're going to be the best player. Um, but for me, I I say lucky, but because I had a couple of years out the professional game, I'd already accepted my fate that I was probably never going to be that professional soccer player. Um, you know, it, it's hard. Because you, I mean, everybody playing the game growing up wants to be the next Cristiano Ronaldo or the Lionel Messi. Um, but a lot of kids that come immediately from the academy setting in Europe to the college game, they still have that mindset that they, they are going to be the top dog. Um, but for me personally, I'd had that adjustment period of going to college and realizing that, hey, hang on a minute, my dreams aren't going to be what they were five years ago. I've got to alter my, my path. Um, and then when I had the opportunity to come over to the US and do my master's degree and obviously have another couple of years of playing, you kind of build that dream back up again. But I, I realized very early on in the US that I had a natural kind of gift for coaching and I enjoyed coaching and I'd come from and had really good experiences that I could then pass on to future generations that, you know, I could do more good in the sport that way. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and now that you've become referenced um, into the sport and, and in, in, of, of college soccer in, in the U.S., and now moving on to a program at, at Coastal Carolina, maybe you haven't had too much time to, you know, consolidate yourself around what, what are the pillars of, of that, that program, but, what are what are some of you know um, the the buy-ins that you you think are are very key you know towards a player entering university? I know sometimes you know uh, players going into their first year they they, they struggle um, with the expectations and and, and the adaptability of, of of what's in front of them. So you know what are some of the things that you would say you know you would pinpoint as a as, as something that you know they would have to wrap themselves around going into the college game that may be different from club soccer. Yeah, it's going to vary school by school. Obviously, I've now joined one of the elite D1 programs in the country. Um, and even though I haven't been there that long, I've seen the difference between the level I was at to where I am right now. Um, but for kids, you've got to be realistic. That's my biggest thing because obviously a coach, if they are interested in you, they're going to sell you this dream. They're going to tell you that you're going to start, you're going to be one of the key guys. But depending on which institution you go to and which program you go to, it might take you two or three years to be that starter or that travel player. Um, so you've got to have realistic expectations that when you go to a program, that it might, it might take a while for you to get what you want out of that program. Um, you know, you might have to focus on being making the travel squad as opposed to being in that starting 11. 
you've then got to get used to starting strength and conditioning programs as well as training, as well as going to class, as well as traveling, as maintaining your homework, possibly having to get a job. Um, so you've got to be realistic with all those expectations. And you're going from a high school club setting where you'll train twice, maybe three times a week. Um, and then you'll go home, mom and dad will cook and do all that stuff for you. Then get thrown into this big, bad world where you kind of, you're on your own and you've got to kind of figure it out. Um, that's the biggest thing that I've seen for kids adjust. Um, you know, you've got kids that you've recruited out of high school or club that have been the best player on the team as 18 year olds playing against 18 year olds, where they're now going to a program where they've got 24, 25 year old grown men competing for the same position. And it's a bit of a culture shock for them. Um, and it's same in the pro ranks uh, back in England. It's like, you can have a really, really good season. The next season they've recruited a, a top Spanish player in the same position as you. And now you've got that competition and you're thinking, what have I done wrong? Um, but it's the same thing here for those high school kids um, coming out of uh, and club kids coming out of their programs to then realize that you know you could be competing with a senior, junior, even a redshirt senior that have been in a program for three, four years that kind of earned their stripes. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that you know these coaches will sell you a dream, but you've got to have realistic expectations as to when you go into a program. I guess that's a perfect uh, segue into my next question. And, you know, we, I, I can remember having, you know, conversations like this with you on many recruiting trips. Because um, I don't think there's not any, nothing worse than recruiting a boy that you think is going to do a lot in the program. And then he comes in, um, not that he doesn't have the skill, but he doesn't uh, know how to respond to not being, you know, first in the pecking order um, when he was in his club. So my question is, you know, how can coaches – I put coaches, but I think it's a collaboration with players. But how can we help them become more prepared? And maybe we can make it even more specific, like from a goalkeeper perspective. Because like you said, a, a freshman goalkeeper coming in, that's probably one of the hardest positions to hop right into the, to the starting 11. So, you know, whether that's like doing your research about your school or, you know, reaching out to coaches about camps, like what, what do you think are maybe, you know, three key things that could better help a player prepare for that transition? Um, I actually um, had a conversation just before I left San Antonio City to move to Coastal. I think it's not so much a, the key thing for me is not so much what a coach can do, but what a club can do. Um, and I think that they need to start introducing these strength and conditioning sessions as part of training because as I previously said, you've got an 18-year-old kid that's still developing that's then going to train and compete with grown 24, 25-year-olds and they're not physically ready and they weren't prepared for it. And it's not just it's not just some clubs. Some clubs might do it, especially the professional when you get in those academy kids. We were used to it, doing their strength and conditioning, but a lot of the domestic clubs over here don't have that they don't have the resources they obviously don't have the funding but if they can find a way of introducing that it's going to help the kids physically prepare for that training and how hard it's an intense season it's three it's three months long you can train five times a week play twice a week and it it, it goes real quick but it can 
really, really take its toll on the body. So I think if you can introduce that and it's just going to help the kids transition to that college game a little bit better. Um, but going back to what you said, Jules, is you've got to do your research and you've got to do it as a, as a coach and a kid. Because if you ask 95% of the kids in the country, they all want to play D1, but they don't know why they want to play D1. Um, so as coaches, I think you can help them have the realistic expectations. There's no point telling a kid, say a goalkeeper, that, oh yeah, you can go to a Stanford, you can go to a Coastal. But realistically, they can't because then they're just following this dream down a dead end. So I think you can have that. There's talks with the kids, the families, and just be realistic and just say, look, you could be a practice player at Division One at a low-end program, or you could be a starter at D2. And my advice is to kids that you want to look back when you get to my age and go, I played college soccer instead of I sat on a bench at a college soccer program. That's the biggest thing. Because once college is gone, it's gone. You can't go back and you want to play and you want it. And Jules is the same. You had to make the same decision when you were at Charlotte. You had to pursue the dream of dropping down a division to play. And I think we've had this conversation. It was the best decision you made. Um, and I think coaches and clubs can help those kids realize, look, you know, you're a high academic kid and you've got talent. Go to a top D3 program, um, you know you haven't really got the grades, go to a junior college, get your associate's degree and then look to transfer to a division one program. So I think, you know, if you ask, yeah, I'm the, I was the same. I always do the college talks at ID camps and you have 150 kids there. Who wants to play D1 soccer? Everyone puts their hand up and then you ask them why and everyone's hand stays down. You know, I used the example here in San Antonio um, when I was at Incarnate Word and we had a D3 Trinity program just across the road. They got more players in the pro game than we did. So the difference between the levels, D1 is not always the best. It's about what that program can do for you um, and how you can utilize that to help your end game. I just got one more question just leading into that. I think everyone would love to, to hop into college and, uh, and play for their one school. But like you said, I... I had the opportunity to play D1 and I went D2 um, and transferring was probably one of the best decisions for me in terms of playing college soccer, but how much easier is it now? So say, you know, we do get a kid who goes to play D3 and he absolutely tears it up or maybe D2, so whatever, whatever it may be. Um, could you just touch on like the transfer portal? Cause I know it's a new thing now in, in, uh, in college soccer. Are you allowed to say anything about that? Yeah, no, so obviously for the for Division One, Division Two and Division Three, there's if there's a thing that they introduced last year called the transfer portal. So if you want to leave a school, it is now a lot easier because once you get put into this portal, every coach in the country can see it. Um, one of my jobs now at Coastal is to check the portal every day to see who's now been entered into the system and to follow up and see why that kid's leaving, whether they could come into the program and help us. Um, but it's a lot easier. Back in our day, we would have had to have got the coach's permission and then reached out individually to all these schools, hoping that, you know, you got a hit. Now, 
it's more that the coaches will reach out to you. You can still do the work yourself, but you now got coaches that have your contact information, can do their research on you and then reach out directly to you. So it's a lot easier process now. Um, I think looking this morning, there was over a thousand kids across all three divisions still on the portal looking to move schools. I think that that ties in beautifully to what I wanted to kind of uh, get your uh, opinion on is, um, I guess, with this portal opening up, you can see prospective players and kind of do their research. You can do your research on them as a player. But I guess we as coaches constantly receive like a steady stream of like emails and highlight tapes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I guess what, what can you kind of help guide a, a future athlete uh, like on specifics for taking into consideration what school to go to and how they can make sure that respective school kind of aligns up athletically, academically, long-term plan with what that athlete wants to pursue? Yeah, that's a good question. So my, the key thing yet again is research. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of kids. I've done a lot of camp lectures. It, you have to do the research yourself. The, the perfect program is not always going to find you. So if, you're, if you want to go through the college system and go professional, you've got to find the programs that have moved kids onto the professional ranks that have a background of doing that. You look at Coastal Carolina, they've had a steady stream over the last few years of kids getting into the MLS, getting into Europe. You know, whereas if you look at the lower D1, they don't have that. So it's if you have the ability and the talent and the work ethic and your end goal is pro, you've got to find a program that can help you achieve that. But the best thing is the research because you can look at programs. Um, you know, I, I look at when I'm researching kids on the transfer portal and a kid's coming from a D2 program that wants to come to Coastal Carolina, but then I find that the, the, the fifth choice goalkeeper, it's – if you're the fifth choice goalkeeper at Division Two program, in all fairness and all honesty, you're not gonna, you're not good enough to be at Coastal Carolina, and that's just the reality of the situation. And that's the research that kids can do, coaches can help them. Just be realistic. It doesn't matter if you play Division One, Two, or Three. It's about how much enjoyment you get out of it. Um, but for those kids that have that end game um, of being professional, look at the programs. And like, I'll go back here to San Antonio with Trinity University. They've had a steady stream of players come through that program and go on to the professional ranks. But it's about you guys doing the research and finding that out for yourself, whether it's going online. Because if a kid's come through a program and played, now gone on to the professional ranks, there's an article there. You can see it. You can find that out. Um, so that's going back to the research. And you've got to... You might have the dream of going to Stanford and national championship, you know, championship program. Um, but you've got to see how many players, and I'll always go back to the goalkeeper route because that's my background. How many goalkeepers do they have? And if you're an incoming freshman, if they've got four goalkeepers who are all sophomore and junior, your pathway is kind of blocked. Um, and that's yet again doing your research. And if, you know, you're coming into a program that maybe has a senior and a freshman, you've got to ask you, ask the coach, where do you see me fitting in? Um, you know, am I challenging the senior? Am I better than the freshman that's already there? Um, 
and th- you've got to kind of push the coach because the coaches are, I'll be honest, we're, we're salesmen at times and you've competing with other programs to get these kids. You can sell them that dream. Um, but for me, I'm always honest. You can ask Jules with that in my recruiting. Um, sh- I'm straight off the bat with kids at the minute that are trying to come to coast. We don't have athletic scholarship available. So instead of me stringing them along, you've got to have that honesty and help them out with that way. But that's, yet again, finding the research about it, going back to the academics as well. And I'll always use the same story. Never choose a school just for the soccer. Because if you go to a program um, just for the soccer and you're doing a degree that you don't want to do, uh, and first day of preseason, you, God forbid you tear your ACL or break your leg and you're out for that entire season, you're then stuck in a place that you don't want to be studying something that you don't want and you can't play. It's not a fun environment. So you've got to find the school where you have a pathway to play, a pathway that can reach your end end goal and somewhere that you can enjoy yourself and study the degree that you want to do. Yeah, it's it's, it's great to hear, you know, the uh you know the the spectrum of, of, of the metrics, you know, that you put down towards, you know, that approach. I think you know, sometimes it's it's very cookie cutter and it's, it's almost a wishing upon a star approach that, that players take is where, you know, whatever sort of falls in their lap or, you know, whatever sort of bites that they get, you know, automatically that, you know, that becomes their favorite or, you know, that becomes, you know, the, the priority that they, that they want to go to. But, you know, there's a lot of great programs out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of programs out there that, you know, may not necessarily reflect uh, on their, on their, on their ranking or on their, on their record, but, you know, they're able to pro- provide a, you know, professional environment um, year round, which is also, you know, a, a professional pathway to, to those individuals that still want to continue to seek it. It's, it's going to happen every year, whether it's D1, D2, D3. And I think that, you know, as, as a person that has been in a professional environment, you know, your entire life, uh, you would agree with me that, you know, once you're talking about, you know, becoming a, a pro, that's something that's very strange. That's not a lot, you know, to do with, uh, with your environment, your coaching, that's, that's very internal. And that's, you know, takes a great degree of resilience, you know, um, once, once you go down that path is, because it's, you know, almost on a weekly basis, it's, it's filled with judgment and, and many times failure as well, you know, yep. just team sheets, just situations like that. Um, you know, from, 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 from us, you know, it would be, it would be uh, important as well to, to pick your brain, uh, you know, from, from the goalies, from the goalie side of things, from the goalkeeper side of things, um, you know, it's definitely, you know, one of the positions um, where you do hear, you know, more uh, staples towards their attributes of height and, you know, uh, size. Um, you know, when, when you talk to field players and you go, you know, to different camps or, you know, different courses, you know, you're always told, uh, um, you know, size is irrelevant, it's, it's, it's the mind, it's the tactical perception, it's this and that. And when it comes to the goalkeepers, you know, you, you know size and, and, and height, you know, become a stable, right? Um, yeah. from, from when you played the game um, uh, to, to now as a coach, um, for sure there's, there's been a tremendous evolution as well and, and just, you know, the amount of accountability a goalkeeper has to have with his feet um, when, when we're talking about an elite program, um, you know, how how, real, how reliant do you think, you know, cape, keepers uh, should still be on attributes like height? Um, you know, what are some of the aspects, you know, uh, goalkeepers playing the game, um, you know, are, are sought after by coaches, uh, you know, what's that, that you pull in and, and you look at for, from a goalkeeper perspective? 
it varies coach to coach. Talking to people in the academy settings over in Europe, they will very reluctantly look at anybody that's below 6'3", 6'4". That's the European setting. It's still kind of old school over there. Um, I think it's a bit more evolved over here now. Um, that a lot of these newer, younger and incoming coaches aren't so fixated on height. Um, for me, height doesn't bother me. I was small as a goalkeeper. I'm kind of 5'11 and a half, almost six foot. So in a professional sense, I'm way too short to be a professional goalkeeper. But you can find ways of nullifying that height aspect and do you have quick feet are you good with playing with the ball at your feet and stuff like that for me i was quick post to post so even though i wasn't six three i could cover my goal and do it that way um but i think now i think manuel neuer was the pioneer he's introduced the sweeper keeper aspect where coaching courses training sessions and now incorporating that goalkeeper playing out the back and obviously with the new rule professionally where players can come inside this, you know, the 18-yard box now, um, you're finding that goalkeepers are having to get better with their feet. They're going to have to be able to be as comfortable um, as an outfield player with the ball at the feet. And that's the way the game in that position is developing. For me, the way I was brought up, I was always incorporated into the outfield sessions. So I always had that ability and that, confidence on the ball that I could play out the back and as I got better or as I got older um, it started to show in my game that you know if you're playing a game of rondo or you're playing a possession game you can always pick out predominantly who the goalkeeper is because they always lose it or they hide it um, so the way I coach my keepers my the first 30 minutes of my sessions it's all feet footwork it's all with the ball at the feet um, if the outfit, if the rest of the team's doing a possession rondo, I get my keepers involved with that because they need it. You, your team and your coach have to be comfortable knowing that if the ball comes back to you, you're not going to panic um, and that you can play out the back. Um, the more recruiting videos I'm seeing now, more and more of these videos, I've got clips of kids playing with the ball at the feet and playing out the back as opposed to just kicking it long, punting it and shot stopping. So I can see that evolution. Um, and you look at some of the players, you know, in, in the professional game, Edison, um, his distribution, Jordan Pickford's distribution, it's on point. And it's always what commentators and fans pick out more is, did you see Pickford's side volley Edison's pass to De Bruyne or whoever, it, as opposed to, oh, did you see that save? So you can start seeing the evolution of that position. And, you know, for me, it's, I enjoy it. Um, it just shows that keepers always have that stigma that, oh, you were in goal because you weren't good enough with the ball, you know, to play on the outfield. But now you're starting to see that change, which is good. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, from a, from a goalkeeper perspective as well, you know, it, it could be a very isolating position, you know, as well. You know, any, any little mistakes, obviously, uh, it reflects, you know, to, to on, on you directly in, in terms of conceding the goal. You know, um, obviously, keepers have, you know, different personalities and different characters. You know, what was, uh, uh, you know, some of the mindset that you wrapped around uh, yourself to keep your confidence high and, 
you know, what is your approach in, in, in working with your keepers um, just, just to get through those moments and, and uh, you know, maintain accountability, but also, you know, not, not having them, you know, mentally, you know, become weaker? Yeah, no, I, I've always said goalkeeping is 70% mental. Um, and you touched on it before, it's an isolated position. You can spend good chunks out of a game, not involved, but you've got to stay switched on. Um, you've got to pay attention. But, you know, I think as a goalkeeper, you've got to realize you're going to make mistakes. And the very best in the world make mistakes. But the key to be a successful goalkeeper is how do you deal with that setback? How do you deal with that mistake? So I've always been taught and always coached now that if you mess up, whether it's a pass, you know, a shot or what, a dropped catch or what, the next thing you do is you make sure the next, act, you know, involvement with the play is perfect. And that's how you then build that confidence up slowly. Um, what I like to do with my goalkeepers is mental performance training. So I have a sports psychology background. I've worked with Bill Bezik before and when I was back in Manchester, who was the sports psychologist for the England national team. Um, and he's worked with Manchester United, Man City and all that, all those. Um, so what I've been brought up is, you know, visualization. So visualize that your next involvement in the play, you how you're going to do it. So when it does actually happen, you've already got that visual aid in your mind of how it's going to happen. And it just helps with that. But you've got to also know and realize that you're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes, but you're going to have to deal with it. You know, you might let a goal in and then you've got teammates screaming and shouting at you. But if you let that affect you, then your performance is only going to nosedive. You've got to take it on the chin, hold your hand up. Yes, I messed up. And then regroup and refocus on what you've got to do next. And that's the only way you can be successful as a goalkeeper. If you let um, criticism eat you and you eat yourself, it's hard to bring that performance back up. So small steps, baby steps, right? I've messed up. I take it on the chin. The next thing I do is going to be good. And then the next thing I'm going to do. And then you've got to visualize it in your mind of how you're going to do it and how you accomplish it. So when that scenario and that situation plans out, you've already visualized it and you can do it. Yeah, for sure, Chris. I just got one one quick point to add to that or kind of get your feedback on is a goalkeeper could be, I guess, irrelevant in a match shot-stopping-wise or something really effective to the game for 90 minutes, 60 minutes, 70 minutes, 75 minutes, and then be so heavily dependent on because of a wave of attack, your, your team's up 1-0, and now the other team's coming in waves for the last five, 10 minutes. So how do you kind of keep your keepers mentally, I guess, engaged for 80 minutes of doing nothing to the last 10 minutes of being bombarded with shots, crosses and all that sort of stuff? So what I teach my goalkeepers is they, so I split the soccer field up into thirds. So you have the opposition's third, you have the central third and you have the defensive third. And then what I do is I split their 18 yard box up into thirds. So their six-yard box is their defensive third. So if the ball's in the overall defensive third, they're in their defensive third of their 18. Centrally, between the six-yard box and the penalty spot, if the ball's in that central location. Um, and then if it's in the final third, from the penalty spot to maybe five yards outside the 18-yard box. If the ball's on the left, walk and follow it to the left. If it's to the right, follow it to the right. So then they're visually engaged in the game 
they're staying concentrated and focusing on the game and then they realize and know that all right the ball's central right now where have I got to be and then they're focusing constantly on the ball and they can be prepared to get into play at any time you know and it's it's hard when you're a kid and you've got six games going on around you and the ball's at the other end it's easy to turn and watch and watch another game I've done it everybody does it but if you can get that ingrained it's all about that professionalism um, taking yourself to that next level can I concentrate solely on my game and avoid what's going on around me and focus on what I need to do so if you can do that you can be mentally engaged with the game but not actually have to do anything but when that time comes you're already in the game and you don't really realize it, but you're prepared for when you're needed. Yeah, I think as a, as a coach and, and not to not to step on, on, on your toes, Chris or Amrick, as you guys are goalkeeper coaches, but, you know, keepers that really stand out to me are, are you know, keepers that, uh, you know, in, in those moments that you would, you know, quote unquote say there's there's nothing to do is that they, they always find something to do. And, and you know, yeah. whether it's, you know, moving moving around the pitch. Um, I think you know communication is is one of the big things as well. Um, it's always great to see a person in that position that is, you know, constantly coaching, constantly organizing, you know, constantly motivating. Um, you know, that's that's something that you know I always in my little time with with you know dealing with the keepers um, uh, during the week. I always you know encourage relevant communication. You know, not not just talking for the sake of talking, but you know, instructing as, as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a unique and incredible position. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, in my time in England, you know, watching, you know, uh, Chelsea versus QPR and, you know, watching uh, Courtois, you know, out on, out on the field an hour and a half and just, you know, basically had shots. He played a whole football match before, you know, the, the game even started, right? And uh, yeah. you know, by, by the time the game started, he, he, he literally had – you know, minutes of work on the day, but uh, that that's what it takes for that position, you know, and it's a, it's an incredible amount of, you know, preparation uh, that, that goes towards it. And um sounds like uh, definitely, you know, keepers working with you are in, are in great hands, Chris. I, I, uh, I appreciate your insight uh, today. I, I know that, uh, you know, you're, you're still fresh um, at, in, in, at, the, at the position in Coastal Carolina, and you said you noticed changes as well. Just want to add one more question. You know, how does you know from from a coaching standpoint? Um, you know, I I think we're all we're all very objective based and 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 you know very you know keep you know little pillars or little goals in front of us as as, as coaches. You know, from a personal standpoint, you know it's 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 a it's a big jump as well going from you know Texas over to Carolina and and you know maybe the objectives of the program as well. You know, being an NCAA tournament team. Um, change as well or, or become much higher, you know, how, how do you wrap yourself around that? And, 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 you know, what, you know, what changes in, in, in towards your objectives or, or, or approach, you know, going, going to a program like that? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So it's, it's similar as what I was saying earlier about the jump from high school and club to college soccer as a player. So I've gone from, you know, a low-end D1 program where you're trying to win as many games as possible and maybe squeak into the conference tournament to now to a program that's expecting to make the NCAAs every year. So for me professionally, 
I've got to up my game. I've got to do everything that I've done before and I've got to step it up even more. So I've got to push myself to my limit. Um, so and that revolves everything that you do, whether it's communication, ideas. You know, I've now gone to a head coach that's been at the program for 21 years and had ultimate success and moved players on to professional, the professional ranks. I can learn from him. So a lot of what I've been doing, obviously, in this downtime is not so much my input, just listening to him and his experience and the other associate heads actually won a national championship when he was at Akron. So listening to these guys is only going to help me professionally, how they interact with kids, their training ideas. So obviously they want my input of what I've done, but I can learn an awful lot from those guys. But it, it's the same thing. Um, and it's the same thing with a college coach that then goes on coaches and the pros. They've got to up their game again even more. Um, so I think it's, it equates to, you know, what the high school kids and the club kids are going to go through. They've got to up the game and they've got to realize that um, and got to, you know, get put in. They're going to be out of their comfort zone. And that's the same with me right now that, you know, we're expecting to win every single game. And at my previous school, we weren't in that situation, not just of how, you know, how the players were. It was just the whole package wasn't as good as what it is now. So for me, it's going to be a learning curve. I'm going to make mistakes. I know that, but you've got to also have that professional mindset that, right, if I do make a mistake, I've got to up my game. I've got to be better next time I do this. Um, but it's I'm excited, and it's the same for high school club kids they should be excited going to college and they've got to be an open book and they've got to go willing to learn not thinking that they know it all and that the finished product as a coach and Jules will back me up on this I've had you know as, as an as a head coach at a very young age at the division one level I had a lot of things to go through and I made a lot of mistakes but it's only going to help me further down the line as I get older and I go through my career and it's a big step to go from where I was to where I am. And, you know, it's a lot of hard work's got me there, um, but I'm not the finished article as a coach, nowhere near. And I've still got a lot to learn. And, you know, you've got to be open and excited for it, be willing to make mistakes, but learn from those mistakes to become a better coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we wish you the best uh, within that, those, that venture. You know, you're definitely wrapped around you know, the right mind state, you know, I, I, I like to say that, you know, it's, it, it's better to, to surround yourself around those that are failing at big things, you know, what, rather than, you know, guys that are winning at very little things, right? And, you know, yeah. for you, it's, it's a brand new, you know, opportunity. And, um, you know, for us, e even coming along in, in, in these chats, uh, you know, it's, it, it's great. You know, we thank you so much. Uh, you've yeah. definitely ticked off a, a lot of the boxes in our, in our conversation. And it's been, you know, very, very insightful and, and very informative to, to anybody that wants to have a fresh, you know, perspective in, in, into sort of how to transition in, in, into the game. And, uh, you know, we, we wish, you know, you and, and, and your, all your loved ones all the best and, and health and during this time. I'm, I'm sure you're like us that wants to get back to a little bit of normal life yeah. uh, right now, could use a dose of it and can yeah. use a, uh, 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 some time on the field. I, I you're coming from a different boat. You're you're looking to keep uh, goals out, but I, I can't wait till we score our first one uh, yeah. back out there. So <laughs> I wish you all the best and keeping them out of the net for sure. And uh, we'll we'll definitely uh, 
you know, keep uh, keep your journey under 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 our wings and keep it close. And and uh, thank you for growing in our network and all the best this upcoming season, Chris. Thank you, thank you for having me, guys. Awesome. Cheers, Chris.